0: Hi, this is Abby at Recovery Radio, and I'd like to talk to you today about converting your generosity into hope. Recovery Radio is in the business of giving hope to people. Daily, we provide experience, strength, and hope to people all over the world. We are inviting you to become part of this solution by financially supporting our mission. Please go to recoveryradio.net right now and click the Donate button. Any amount you can contribute will be greatly received and immediately put to work helping us carry the message.
1: Thanks a lot, Chris, and Christine. Thank you for all your help. My name's Sandy Dom an alcoholic. Hi. <laughs> and I also want to thank Gene and um, the committee for this uh, roundup, because they have um, allowed me to be part of it since I moved here to Tampa. And I really appreciate that. It means a lot to me to be part of the big local event that we have here where the audience is all people that I know and have seen and I've seen during the year and all that. So Gene, I don't know if you're here, but if you I just am grateful and I hope you'll keep doing it. Because I always block this week out and to make sure that I'm available over the Labor Day weekend. It, it, it's just that much fun. <clears throat> I didn't really have a plan for today, so it's going to be a mixture of various things, which is uh, probably more fun than one single topic. And um, I think I'll start with um, just a few references to Chuck Chamberlain. How could you start with a better, at a better level than that? For those of you that are new, this man um, got sober in the 40s and died in 1982 or 3, and just had a way of capturing spirituality that was unique, and uh, he was kind of ahead of his time and would talk about things that were fascinating. And just through a series of coincidences, I got to meet him. I'm up in Washington, D.C., and he's in Los Angeles. But I ended up talking at some little convention in Indiana, and Elsa was the uh, Al-Anon speaker. And she went back and told Chuck, he said, this guy, this guy is, you know, he's young and he's new and you've got to invite him to the Palm Desert Roundup, which is a big deal out in California. And and he said, well, let me listen to one of his talk. Well, he doesn't have any tapes. He doesn't have any of that. Well, I'm not going to invite him to the Palm Desert Roundup. My whole reputation is on the line. (laughs) What if he's terrible? And uh, the story is that she said, well, you'll be sleeping alone. (laughs) And so, So I'm sitting around, it's 1975, and I get a phone call, and this voice allegedly says, this is Chuck Chamberlain. And so I thought it was my friend, Al Marley, pulling a joke on me, because why would Chuck Chamberlain be calling me? But then I found out it was him, And he said, "Uh, my wife says I have to invite you to the Palm Desert Roundup. (laughs) So I got out there, (laughs) and um, the talk that came out was Drop the Rock, which just appeared out of nowhere. And the people loved it, so they all went up and said, Chuck, oh, boy, oh, boy. So that's how I got invited down to his house was because the audience liked it. And so I got to meet him, and over a period of about four years, I had occasion to go down to Laguna to go to his home group and sit in his chair, look over the Pacific and and all these things. But mostly, you just sat and listened to him talk, which I found fascinating. And you just hung on every word. And then when I left, I realized I had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> it was so far over my head. But I knew it was true. I knew I had encountered a level of um, wisdom that was um, very powerful. And so he he did something that... Um, is the essence of spirituality, which is simplicity. When I sponsor people, um, probably the last ten years, I've tried to encourage them to work on simplicity. In other words, when they go to a discussion meeting and then they comment on the topic, I ask them afterwards, do you think you could cover all of that in half of the words that you used? Instead of two paragraphs, could you cover it in one paragraph? And then could you cover it in two sentences? So that you would get to the essence of what you were saying and eliminate everything that didn't need to be said, which is reducing things to their simplest terms. And it becomes an interesting exercise. It it really is a lot of fun to see how you could have wiped out this story or that story and then just stick to this as the essence of the point you're trying to make. And when you do that, the point is made with a hundred times more force than something that took 15 minutes. If it takes 15 minutes to explain some point, everybody's lost and they wouldn't even agree on what the answer was afterwards. No, I think his main point was Um, and so What Chuck did when he came out with this statement that there's only one problem that includes all problems and there's only one answer that includes all answers, he really took simplicity down to the very essence. So he summarized our entire program by saying there's no other problem in the world other than being consciously separated from God. And there's no other solution that we should be looking for other than conscious contact with God. End of story. So no matter what the problem appears to be to us, that's not it. The real problem is that we're consciously separated from our Creator. That in our consciousness, we see ourselves as separate being from God, the creator of the universe, whatever you want. And therefore, separated from all the other people in the room. And we come back to the heart of being us alcoholics, which is self-centered, in the extreme. So I'm, I exist in my world... And the universe also exists. That's an interesting... Isn't it generous of me to allow the... ...universe to also have a world and a center and and all that, in addition to mine? And so, if you've seen um, Chuck's book, he draws a circle, which is everything... In the universe, this is God. It's everything there is. It, this is the entire package. And then there's a little dot outside the circle, which is the alcohol. <laughs> and you just go, well, how could you exist in addition to everything? It's easy. You just make up a story that you exist in addition to everything and believe it. Because that's what all this is about is Stories. There's uh, everything that we talk about are stories. We get up to give a talk, and what do we say? I'm going to tell you my story. And it could be accurate, or it could be very inaccurate. When we're new in AA, it's not very accurate at all. It's what we thought happened. And as the years go on, we find out we we had a couple things right, but most of it was uh, our perception was just completely screwed up, and we didn't have it right. And um, when you look at the big book, you open it up and it said the story of how, what's it say now, thousands? It used to say how a hundred recovered. And then we start out with Bill's story. And then we go back in the back of the book and here's all these stories, whatever it was, 29 stories. And the stories were the only way to communicate about spirituality because... There's no direct way. Spirituality is not a science. So we can't write formulas that would explain spirituality. We have to use parables and stories and just like the Bible does. We come up and we just go, and so you get up there and you have someone who hit a terrible bottom and now they're, you know, teaching spirituality in some school. Something happened. That story leaves an impression with you and you are forced to reconsider your position on um, whether there's a higher power or not. And so I just found that um, him saying that there's only one problem that includes all problems. What it means is If you've diagnosed that your problem is financial, you're wrong. Your problem is conscious separation from God. If you've decided that your problem is your health, wrong. Your problem is conscious separation from God. If you've decided that your problem is whatever it is, I don't have any money, I'm broke. So my problem is lack of money. No, your problem is conscious separation from God. Now this, our egos are willing to consider that for two or three minutes. And then we immediately prefer our version of life because we don't know how to complain about being consciently separated. But we do know how to complain about no money. Do you follow what I'm saying? It sounds vaguely like if I'm consciously separated from God, it's my fault, and I could do something about it. Whereas the reason I don't have any money is because of an unfair world. That's a much better story. My ego likes that story. And so, I mean, just go to discussion meetings and um, throw a topic out, financial insecurity, and see how many people mention being separated from God. And this is, myself included, you know, groups with people with lots of time, and they'll just start around the room. Well, what I like to do with financial? (laughs) I like to imagine that things are going to turn around, and I like to do this. and And so basically, we like to come up with solutions that leave God out. Isn't that funny? What a habit to have we like to come up with solutions that leave God out because it makes us feel important. I remember hearing uh, somewhere that um, God will help us with situations that we can't handle ourselves. Okay, I can go along with that. But he'll also help you with situations that you can handle yourself. (laughs) And that way you're always in the presence of God, even when you're handling things that you could have handled on your own. So there's probably a whole collection of these sayings that were designed to leave God out. And the human ego seems to just love that. It just loves it. Look at the, um, in the big book, that when we get to the 10th step, it says we've entered the world of the spirit. Which means we've entered a place where the ground rules are a little different than the place we used to live in, which was the material world. And so I wonder, well, how does it work in here? What are the, what are the new spiritual rules? What are the, how does the world of the spirit work? Well, if we find ourselves getting resentful, upset, I can't remember everything, frightened, but we ask God at wants to remove it. And then you can, I can feel it in the room and, and, and you're all going, and what else? <laughs> What's wrong with just asking God to remove them? Oh, there's got to be more to it than that. There's um... So we see that Chuck really was pointing out something that is very difficult to incorporate into our lives. So that's why we need each other. That's why we need intimate knowledge of our program. That was one of the things I was hoping to talk about today is, If you're going to be a good AA member, you really have to commit to learning the AA message exactly as it's laid out, so that what you pass on to the next person has the maximum chance of working. It doesn't need ad-libbing, it doesn't need anything. we It's all been laid out and gets tremendous results. As you can see, the steps are designed to cause conscious contact. And in that contact comes a transformation that, as far as I'm concerned, creates the belief in God. Up till then, it's kind of a theory. I believe that you believe but I've never had anything happen to me that gives me 100% proof of the existence of this thing called God. In religions, we would study books that tells us about, well, this is who this God is, and it was uh, was 5,000 years ago, and there's this and that, and so isn't that enough evidence to believe? And besides, I believe, and your mother believed, and so... Why don't you believe? This is different. This is saying that don't bother about believing until you have an experience. Until you have an experience. So all you have to do is keep an open mind about having an experience. You don't know what it's going to be. But when it happens, you'll start talking about it we suddenly realize that god is doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves that's an experience or on page 25 the absolute certainty that our creator has entered our hearts and lives in a way that is indeed miraculous that's a pretty powerful word the absolute certainty that our creator has entered our hearts that doesn't even require faith it's 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 absolute certainty you know what I mean? It's almost like um, before I had a drink, people were telling me how great it was, and I would have to take it on faith. But once I poured it in, I didn't need any more faith. I said, give me all that stuff you got. I know this works. I have. It is absolutely certain that spirituality works. And so that's what what Chuck is trying to get us to do is to stop allowing our mind to look for other answers Um, if we started with uh, you know what is God the only answer I've ever been able to come up with is a mystery because I can't possibly understand anything at that level And I just see this universe used to be a much bigger mystery than it is. Science has certainly moved us along in understanding the universe. But what's behind the universe? What is the point of all of this? And for me, this is where God fits in. And... There's no way to know God's mind. There's no way to understand all this. So what are we left with? Experiencing it. This is much better than understanding it. This is much more exciting and much less frustrating. Because if we set the goal of understanding God, you're going to be damn frustrated when you die. I still don't know what he's up to. It's still hard for me to figure it out. Whereas if I had simply kept track of all the experiences that I had by finding means of establishing conscious contact, as Chuck suggested, then my life would consist of hundreds of little experiences that become... My relationship with the higher power. So you can see that uh, experience is a very powerful word. I don't know if it would ever think about it, but it it, it almost is better than understanding. In other words, if 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 our steps said God as we experience it, it would almost better describe what the process is that you are going to have certain experiences of something that cannot be explained in human terms. It's beyond that. And you are going to have to explain this experience to yourself. And most of us use the word God in describing that experience because that word's been around for thousands of years to describe a power that does things for human beings, and going back to the Greeks and the Romans and all of that, that word is what has been used. We don't have to use it. And Bill offers us alternatives, which is, that's why it's so brilliant. Well, if that word bothers you, then how about spirit of the universe? How about creator? How about father? Find something that's comfortable for you to describe that experience, so it's a it's an amazing um, how this program has been written about and how everything's been reduced to um, twelve and twelve in the big book now let me see before I leave Chuck's um, Simplicity on those two points. It relates to a lot of quotes in our big book, God is everything or he's nothing. What's our choice going to be? I've always liked that. What's your choice going to be? I, don't you like having choice? You, know, you must believe this and said, no, no, no. God's everything or he's nothing. What is your choice? And, um, so you you get to conduct a, an experiment. Oh, I'm going to have him be nothing and see what happens. <laughs> You're perfectly free to do that. I did that in the first three or four years. I'm not praying. I'm not holding hands. Okay, stay the hell away from me. I'm not holding hands. <laughs> I'm not saying the word God. I'm not going to do it. I'm not doing this. And after a while, my sponsor came over and said, let me ask you something. Yes. How's it going? <laughs> it's going awful. Okay, well then, write that down. You tried this experiment, it went awful. So now, if you can find your way clear to do something that's almost impossible for us alcoholics, if you could find your way clear to change your mind, now we'll, why don't you choose that God is everything and see if it's any difference. God is everything. I said, okay, God is everything. And, um, geez, I started seeing things differently. People started being nicer. There was a a whole series of things that led me to believe that perhaps I had made a better choice when I selected that. Okay, I think I've I've covered all that. So now, um, getting back to our responsibility to learn the program extremely well. Because, you know, the history book about Bill is called Pass It On. And we all know Pass It On. We're going to pass on something. We're basically going to pass on the Guidance so that the next person has a spiritual awakening. Sobriety has never been the name of the game. That's a, a rumor. If you want to get sober, punch a cop. You'll have, you'll have ninety days sobriety before you know it. So. Spiritual awakening is the name of the game. Conscious contact is the name of the game. That is what not drinking allows us to have happen. Not drinking is like breathing. You have to do it in order to stay alive so that the point of the program can happen. I lost my train of thought. Oh, it, it. That's why book studies, step studies, talks on the steps, getting the vocabulary of Alcoholics Anonymous down. When you're around AA members who have really immersed themselves in the program, they talk the same. They suddenly come up with Restless, irritable, discontent. You know, and just why? Why'd they pick those three adjectives? Well, I don't know. It's just that we say that a lot because it came out of our literature. Came out of our literature. Inner child is nowhere in the. Uh, <laughs> it's just not. So. If you work that into your talk, you're going to get people going, you didn't have a clue what our program's about. We get sober, not clean. It, I mean, that's, it's, it's all... AA has its own language. And when you're in a group where everybody's using that language, you feel welcome and you feel that, that you are on the right track. Which brings me to... Um, another subject which is changes that have um, appeared since I got sober. and I always work this in and I but I preface it by telling you why I work it in. I work it in because of the second concept and I believe that we all ought to follow the concepts and the traditions and the warranties and everything and that concept says the power for aa groups and aa members to change aa's world service or to complain about what's going on is supreme that's a pretty powerful word isn't it it's telling us you ought to really be keeping track as an individual of how you think alcoholics anonymous is going don't rely on somebody else you As an individual, look around, see what's going on, see if any of it bothers you. And if it does, say something about it, write a letter, do something. In other words, the responsibility for keeping our program just the way it was, which is God-centered program. The service manual is filled with advice about keeping AA God-centered the second tradition is the guiding force for holding all of AA together, that for our group purposes there's but one ultimate authority, a loving God, and that it's the duty of the trusted servants to make sure our traditions are are followed. And so if you look around and you don't see that happening, say something about it. I personally think it would be just wonderful if we had um, every year about 12 agenda items that came from the bottom up. Oh my God, that'd be um, that would be a stark transition, wouldn't it? I've, I tried to come up with the idea that if you could talk 200 other groups into whatever you're trying to get on the agenda, they'd have to put it on there. Do you follow what I'm saying? So that if I went around and I said, look, I don't want to go around, I'll give you an example. I want the last meeting in Atlanta, the big spiritual meeting on Sunday morning, to end with the Lord's Prayer. That's what I want. I want the meeting to end with the Lord's Prayer. So if I can get 200 groups to go along with that, then they have to take it up. And I uh, would finally have a vote on it would finally have a decision that's being made on a much larger basis than someone who just didn't like it. Uh, While I'm on that subject, I'm talking about the changes in the the program. It's all because the country is so different. And I talk about this almost every time I talk, but I only take about five minutes. (laughs) Um, Clearly, when I came in in 1964, Almost everybody went to church, and everybody talked about God one way or the other. We didn't like him, or I I didn't like what my church did, or this or that. But it was, uh, I can remember the joint session of Congress singing Onward Christian Soldiers. That's how far back I can go. That's an entirely different situation that we have today. I'm not saying anything is wrong or right. I'm just saying that is the country I grew up in. And and AA, and it's funny, I was studying the book on the Jacobi movement and the Emmanuel movement up in Boston, and they both came out of the same thing that was facing AA and a lot of other movements, which was Darwin. Once Darwin came along, all of a sudden religion was not the final say on a lot of things. Everybody would turn to religion to get answers about the universe, about what's right and wrong, about how did man get here and all that. Well, as Darwin and science started advancing, it started creating conflict with religions. And both the Jacobi and the um, Emmanuel movement were attempts to allow this to happen harmoniously. So they were trying to blend philosophy with religion. And um, there was a lot of movements like that that were coming in. Fortunately, the Oxford group wasn't one of them. This was a separate thing that um, Buckman just had this vision of going back to first century Christianity and Eliminate the um, middlemen and just have groups of people getting more spiritual on their own, which uh, eventually led into Alcoholics Anonymous, which is groups of people getting more getting sober and more spiritual on their own. The group is autonomous; it just meets, and we make as much progress as we can, passing the message, helping new people get sober, etc. But as the country became more um, transformed towards science, it's almost as if atheism became the new religion. And a lot of our most, more intelligent professors and influential people advance that as superior to any religion. It's just, um, we come on, folks, we've we got to move beyond that. We're, you've been stuck there too long. Let us help you get enlightened with this new way of thinking, which is wonderful, except it means a lot of our new members are going to come in here with that particular thinking in their head. And so if we thought it was hard for us 50 years ago, To change our mind about some little problem we have with God, imagine how difficult it might be for someone coming in today. They have to really change. And I've talked to people, you know, the Ivy Leaguers and everything, and they said, "Geez, if my class found out that I was relying on God, they would ridicule me. Well, I didn't have that problem. I did not have a bunch of friends who were going to ridicule me if I talked about God. And so we need to fine-tune our delivery and our way of explaining our program to this new audience because they're going to want to come in and change AA dramatically. That's where the effort to get rid of the Lord's Prayer and let's not say God so much, let's do this and that. And uh, the one thing that has occurred to a few of us is that if we took the time to explain that the word God in AA has no definition, but rather we could explain how it's used. And um, one of the problems that new people have is they decide for me what I mean when I say the word God. And then they don't like me the definition that they came up with, which is called creating your own problem. So what if they came up and said, well, what do you mean? I said, I don't mean anything. I just use the word to describe an experience. And the experience is called an awakening. And if you have an open mind, this experience will happen, and then you can use whatever word you want But it doesn't have a meaning. It is a description of an experience. And maybe that particular approach can make it a little bit easier. Because my own personal feeling is the worst reason in the world for an AA group to get rid of the Lord's Prayer is because someone doesn't like it. The worst reason. What lesson are we teaching a newcomer when we say, if there's something about A you don't like, we'll get rid of it? Because we certainly want you to continue demanding that the world adjust to you. (laughs) (laughs) And, And that you don't have to be given the power to be comfortable with reality. And so you can see that it's just we're, we're, we're sending somebody down the rather rocky bottom because the next time they don't like something, you know, like, well, I don't want to do a fifth step, so let's get rid of that. No. And if you're not used to hearing the word no, it can come as a shock. And so I... I wanted, I didn't want to say that prayer. I wanted it to go away. And they said, "Eventually, you'll come to love it." And of course, they were right. I did, and it became so. I'm using that as an example, but there's many other incidences that are coming up in groups that we didn't have to face before that require thinking. We got to think about it ahead of time. In other words, our inner group. I was very pleased. Patty helped get this. Uh, they made a decision. What if a group approaches your inner group and wants to be listed and change our steps and take God out of the steps in their home group? Are you going to list them or not? It would be much better to decide ahead of time than to be confronted with the group at the door and you'd be able to say, no, we already have a policy on that, and we've decided this. So that's enough. It's it's so important for individuals in our program to think about these things and then to discuss them and, and come up with some answers that otherwise things get pushed through and we it's too late to change them back. And, and a lot of times the changes are made because we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings and we want to be nice and this poor newcomer, let's be nice and blah, blah, blah. But boy, we might do a lot of damage in the, in the middle of being nice, kill them with kindness, that type of thing. So all I'm saying is there's a lot of things that have happened in the modern world that AA needs to think about as individuals and then pass our thinking on to our trusted officials. Instead of waiting for them to think it through, there's plenty of very smart people in every group who could think about these things, write letters in, offering ideas, etc. OK, that's the end of that. Everybody goes, get used to it. Wait till I have 50 years, and I'm 83. Oh. It's going to be awful. OK. Um, I know there's a couple of things that Bill came up with that I have found absolutely fascinating Bill described AA in a letter that this is what he saw our fellowship as he called it an utter simplicity which encases a complete mystery and What a description of this fellowship. Simplicity is the essence of spirituality. And when we look for simple things in AA, it works, it really does. You can't reduce that any lower than that. A person comes in, they appear to have all kinds of different problems than the person next to them and yet they follow the same solution and get the same results. They get transformed. They get made into a totally different person. And it's all unexplainable. Nothing in AA can be explained, which is why he calls it a complete mystery. There was an article in Wired magazine about five years ago and they were using AA as an example to show that life is unpredictable. And they, and they said AA is the expert on alcoholism. You couldn't have a bigger expert. So go to AA and ask them which of these ten newcomers is going to stay sober. <laughs> and they'll go, oh, we don't, know. we don't know. We're just going to have to wait and see. Well, you've got five old timers in your group. Is any of them going to have a slip? I don't know. know. Well, it looks like AA doesn't know a damn thing about um, alcoholism. They can't. They can't answer any of these questions. And of course, we don't answer questions. Things are revealed. It just comes. And and so I've always enjoyed that. The other quote that Bill had, no, it wasn't Bill, I think it was Ernie Kurtz, was, um, in an almost magical manner, Alcoholics Anonymous was able to provide to its religious and non-religious members alike a view of the universe and their place in it, which is both comforting and exciting. In doing so, they borrowed from religion everything that is powerful and uniting, while politely declining everything that is self-serving and conflicting. You might call it the spiritual heist of the century.
0: (laughs) And they did it
1: all unconsciously without realizing it. What an interesting way of describing A.A., We look at it after the results are in, and then we describe the results. And that's very close to how spirituality seems to work. Okay. um, I see the basket got put up here. Now, baskets are fun because I made a deal ahead of time, for those of you that are new, there's a guy in the back who... Uh, throws out the hard questions. So,
0: <laughs>
1: so that's how we pull this stunt and appear to know the answers. you follow what I'm saying? So, I heard you once say that spirituality is make a decision and stick with it. How did you come to this realization? That's close. Um... I think I was just commenting on the power of decision, like in our third step. There's a great deal of difference between thinking about going to college and deciding to go to college. Thinking about it, you're going, well, I could major in this, and I could do that, and I could do that, and you could be talking about going to college for five years. But when you decide to go, you go register, you buy all the books. You sign up for the classes, and a lot of things happen because of the decision. So the decision to turn our will or anything spiritually, a decision, is a huge thing. I used that on, uh, after my daughter was murdered, and I got talking a lot about forgiveness. You decide, starting today, to become a forgiving person. It will transform your life. I don't know what I am now. Sometimes I forgive. Sometimes I argue about it. Sometimes I do this. Starting today, I'm going to be a forgiving person. And that's a decision that will produce amazing results. I guarantee it. Please explain the film projector metaphor. Oh, my God, I don't think I can. Um, (laughs) That came out of the... It just appeared one time in explaining the, um, and I don't think I can do a very good job, but it was, um, in order to change what's on the screen of our lives, we have to go back inside the projecting booth and change what's in there, and then we will start seeing a different world. And so it was a way of um, making a picture out of our dealing with reality. How do we change what's in the projection booth? By changing our ideas and our perceptions, which is why we inventory all of the ideas that we have and old ideas avails nothing. We throw them out and new things appear on the screen. And it appears like out there changed, but it didn't. It was all inside by changing our ideas. My apologies to me for not explaining that right. Have you experienced the dark night of the soul in sobriety? What was your experience coming out of it. Well like everybody else in AA um, you know I've had the standard uh, assortment that life dishes out and uh, sometimes the um, like a murder of a child we, you would think would be the hardest to recover from. When in reality, sometimes somebody cutting you off in traffic can lead to a slip. It, it, do you follow what I'm saying? It, it it's all depends on your spiritual condition at that time and whether you ask for help. Anytime we decide to handle any of these things on our own, we're going to get a t- probably not a good outcome. <laughs> um, And I could tell you that um, I was talking to Bill earlier that that extended pain has been a big challenge. I I haven't figured out how to stay cheerful all the time on that one. Um, But I've never lost my sense of humor. I've never lost touch with my higher power. I just turn to him and I go, okay, what's this, what is this shit that's going on? <laughs> give me a, give me a freaking clue, will you? I mean, come on. It's, I don't reveal it until it's time to reveal it. Yeah, I know, I know. Thanks a lot. That didn't help. But everything's funny. I don't care what it is. It's um, because it involves God and it involves this um, relationship that we have and it and I hate to get into that long thing on getting comfortable with dying but if you don't do that you're going to have a hard time in life so if it bothers you to think about dying or talk about dying or everything start talking about it and thinking about it until it stops bothering you and you'll find that life takes on a whole thing because one of the ego's favorite weapons is you're going to die, you know. <laughs> Fear immediately separates you from God and you're on your own. I don't know what I'm going to do. What's wrong? Oh, just thinking about dying. Why? I don't know. <laughs> Didn't have anything else to do. <laughs> Would you explain this? It's a spiritual laxing. If anything disturbs us, there's something wrong with us. What is it that's wrong with us? (laughs) You're going to hate this answer. (laughs) You're disturbed. That's what's wrong with you. <laughs> and as soon as you get undisturbed, the game is fixed. It is. It is. It's one of these. It's the most brilliant thing. I'll tell you that. There's the example of a twelve and twelve giving us a secret weapon. We all know what it feels like to suddenly be disturbed by something. Our workday's going along, and this is fine, and all of a sudden. We feel like we're choking. And it was all because the boss came in and whatever he did, he embarrassed you in front of all the other workers and said something derogatory. And um, I'm disturbed. And it says here, there's something wrong with me. What the hell's wrong with me? He's the one who came in (laughs) completely uncalled for, and embarrass me in front of all the other workers. So the book suggests that we stop, do not proceed, do not do any more, do not move one step forward on your march through today, stop. Now we can get an honest analysis, what's wrong, that involves gently calling our sponsor or somebody, can I run something by you? I'm sitting here, my boss came in, and he said, I got this memo from Sandy. This is the dumbest memo. It looks like it was written by a gorilla. I said, so how do you think I feel, Bill? I mean, you know, I did something like that. Thanks. And he said, well, read me the memo. So I read it to him. He says, it does sound like it was written by a gorilla. Why don't you... um, (laughs) go up and apologize and tell him you'll write a good memo eventually. Or he might say to me, that's a very good memo. Your boss had no right to say that. That was absolutely thoughtless, mean, everything. Forgive him. And then you can walk away undisturbed. Because the point the new game is, whoever stays the least disturbed wins. So that's, that's the new game. Okay? You're down at your workplace. Whoever stays the least disturbed wins. And if you make that your top objective, to stay undisturbed, and if you get disturbed, to get undisturbed immediately, and a lot of it involves forgiving. Forgiving. The person was wrong. They made a terrible mistake. Forgive them. Forgive them, that lets them off the hook. Yes, that's right, lets them off the hook, off the hook. You got a problem with them being off the hook? Yeah, I'd rather get revenge. (laughs) Remember those old rules? So study step seven, I mean step six in the 12 and 12, and that will really come home. How are we doing? We're all right on time. time When you turn something over to God and you wait for his response, what should you do for the hours, days, and perhaps years (laughs) (laughs) while you wait? I think I would just sit and totally focus on the Injustice of not getting (laughs) an answer immediately. (laughs) Boy, this is, I love questions like this because it's really capturing the essence of being an alcoholic. (laughs) While you wait. If we're still keeping track of it, I'm not sure we turned it over. (laughs) Um, You could give a whole talk on let go and let God as being the entire program. You can make a very good case that that captures everything in the program. Let go and let God. Um, the one other thing that Chuck talked about that I left out was at the time that he I think that he did that uh, retreat he had 29 years sobriety and he talked about 29 years of receiving guidance and I think that's a word that is in the 11th step but we don't talk about it enough about getting more practice at receiving guidance and then checking the guidance with someone else to make sure we're not making it up in our head Um, but it was it fits in with that do we carry spiritual gains into the next life and do we continue to grow into God's plan for us well obviously no one can prove this, but I will tell you that uh, Bill Wilson was a big believer in the next life, and uh, matter of fact, he drove the New York office crazy because he wanted to become a spokesman for assuring the entire world that there was an afterlife. And they were able to take that off the list, and (laughs) (laughs) so he went after Nias and Instead, I don't know if you know that story, but um, in the 60s, he suddenly decided that alcoholics should take the vitamin niacin, that it was absolutely essential for sobriety and for everybody. And so everybody I knew was taking niacin. We were down at the health food store, like it was a liquor store. I need (laughs) niacin, please. And if you don't take niacinamide, your face breaks out with red blotches. And it looked like all of Washington, D.C. was having a slip. (laughs) And I still take niacin. Um, Myself, I can hardly wait to go to the next level. I mean, I am just, I thought I was going down to Texas.
0: <laughs>
1: Damn, that was so close. <laughs> My heart rate had dropped and I was just slowly going off to sleep and the ambulance was coming and I knew they weren't going to get there in time. And I was totally at peace because, you know, when you're, when you're slowly going to sleep and here's the jackpot. I was interrupting the talk of a trustee with the with the ambulance coming and I just thought, what a way to go, you know, 20 years. You, know. you remember that guy, Sandy Beach? Yeah, he interrupted a trustee one time by dying. I, I just thought that would be a cool um, something or other but I that's all I can say on that. I... What affirmation is there for me to have, a, to have a knowing that God will provide for me? I still struggle too much to make ends meet. How do I incorporate this into my life? Well, you're asking one of the hardest questions especially if we're fairly new, is to know that everything is fine. So I would start with um, eliminating wanting to know if everything's going to be fine. Just eliminate that. And look very closely and see if everything is fine. Do you have a lot of friends now? Are you, did you eat yesterday? Did you have a place to stay? Do you have a home group and people like you there? And you can start building a story about your present condition that is very positive. I used to do that with my sponsor. I'd run up and go, the sky is falling, this time it's really falling. And then he would respond by saying, yes, 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 but, you know, you're supposed to speak next week over at the Annandale group, and they really like you over there, and now you're in charge of the coffee and the cake, and people are happy that you're doing that, you've got the key to the church, you've got this and that, and so I'm listening, and then when he'd finish, I'd go, well, if you put it that way, it's probably it. So the point is to always put it that way. Put it so that the present story is comforting and then just keep repeating that story. We have a tendency to make up bad stories and then suffer from it. And so we can just look at the present and see that, my God, if you're an alcoholic and you're sober, you are so far ahead of all the other alcoholics and build from that. But don't, Step one line into is it going to be all right next week? Uh, that's a total waste of time. Okay, here's a short question. No, it's not.
0: <laughs> short piece
1: of paper. <laughs> Is separation from God my fault? Yes, it is. I'll guarantee you that. It <laughs> All I want to do is be in God's will. I know God is in me, and I am him and sh- strive to be in God's presence. So is separation from God my fault? That's, um, I would go so far as to say there are times that God may want you to be separated from him so you can experience what it's like. That wouldn't be your fault at all. You would, you would, you would be really feeling the separation and how awful it is to be alone And how wonderful it is to stay connected, and it could serve as a motivation to keep a better connection. Um, If you have found that you are doing no spiritual practices whatsoever, don't read any spiritual books, you're not attending meetings, you're not praying, you're not thinking about God, you're not doing any of those things, then what do you think is going to happen? You know, that would be like going to the bar and not drinking and wondering why you had a lousy time. (laughs) Well, I played the jukebox and I was... Did the shuffleboard, I did that, but you didn't drink. Oh, yeah, that's right, that is important, isn't it? So you can see how this... um... It's just... I would just not make it your fault I wouldn't make it your fault about anything it just is how do I stay in the presence of God instead of ego I can't meditate all day long fear sets in and boom without knowing it I'm off the beam I've been recommending a little book called Practicing the Presence. And you can buy it online for about $2. It was written by a brother, Lawrence, 500 years ago. And it's the type of thing that you would just read a paragraph of. And it would make you feel, in other words, his whole deal was always be connected. And so he's writing to... Sisters in the convent who are not able to stay connected, giving them advice, and the monks. And it's just an amazing little volume on this very subject of keeping the presence. Um, a conversation is, a lot of people do, they just talk to God. Well, a lot of traffic here tonight, isn't there, God? Yeah. (laughs) You know, and you just have him helping you. uh, And I'm sure that that is the type of connection that God loves. It's this idea that you simply want to be near him to be near him. Not to make you feel better, but because you just like hanging out with the creator of the universe and with the source of all love. And it's just...
0: So anyway, that's
1: I would give that a shot. And taking uh, breaths is, is, everybody knows that. How do you describe your conscious contact? How do you know when it's broken? Um, well, that's a good question because A lot of times when I'm very successful at this, I'll tell you, physical pain has just screwed up my spiritual program. I'm going to tell you that right now. (laughs) It just got in there. And and, um, I was so arrogant that I expressed shock that my program could be tampered with with physical pain, (laughs) like all of you. In other words, I thought it was immune. I said, I've got this thing. I've got a conscious contact. I have established this, and there's nothing that can break it. You know, like people dying or this or that. Well, I'll tell you, physical pain went in there, made me a... I had to really think about that, that um, I was very vulnerable to having it just crash and then start building it back up, and I did a lot of it with a sense of humor and joking back and forth between my higher power and myself. Um, how do you describe conscious contact? It is, it is a, such a pleasant, um, wonderful feeling that probably aren't words to describe it. It's almost as if you go, now that's it. It, was, it reminds me of when the third drink kicked in. Remember that? One, two, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. This is it. I got it. There's that sense of well-being and the sense that this is the truth. This is real. This is who you really are. You aren't all those other things. This is the real entity that you are. It's this contact that is established. And um, sometimes it's very strong, but it's it's when it's there, it's there. It's just wonderful. These things are hard to talk about because they aren't philosophical. You have to tell stories or something like that in order to cover it. Okay, here's a question from Dick Drysdale. Does anyone know who Dick is? What time do we eat? <laughs> Just for that, I'm going to drag out these questions. <laughs> Boy, if we don't get them all, Please explain the difference between service work versus getting to know God. Um, get well when you look at the 11th step so through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood and praying only for knowledge and will that is how to get to know God Um, there's other things that are very useful for Alcoholics Anonymous. They're important. They're great to do. But remember that sentence. Nothing ensures immunity from drinking, like working with other alcoholics. It doesn't say contact with God. It says immunity from drinking. There's a big difference between immunity from drinking and conscious contact, a spiritual awakening. The awakening is a sense between you and God. If I'm serving God in my own mind, well, I'm being of service and I'm not connected. It's not spiritual. The only thing that's spiritual is contact. The, The rest of it is great, but we can't mix it up and think that we can substitute activity for conscious contact, And um, it's easy to do. It's easy to say, God must be happy because I'm doing these things for him. Well, have you checked? (laughs) Have you had this contact? And he said, yeah, I'm really happy. I think he'd be saying, where have you been? Haven't seen you in a long time. Oh, I've been busy serving you. So that's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> Please explain physical pain. Oh, yeah, well, okay, this is somebody else who has the same thing, and I think I went into it. It's. Um, I feel like I'm complaining when I talk about it, but I'm simply saying that it, Became a, a great shock to me that it could do that to what I thought was a fairly strong spiritual connection that it could just God has a sense of humor but I don't understand it I love AA it changed my mind I have almost two years sober. I am on a spiritual pink cloud. What do I do now for me? My sponsor just relapsed. What can I do for him? What can I say? Holy cow. (laughs) Well, something tells me to suggest getting a spiritual book and getting immersed in it. It's something totally new, so something just... And um, sometimes when you're connected with the right author, it will rearrange things inside of us and give us a chance to see ourselves and our program from a different angle. And it's a way of letting go of a bunch of situations and then coming back to them later. I don't know if that makes any sense. All right, all right. What would you consider is the most important aspect of AA for the alcoholic, for AA as a whole? Well, God is the most important thing. It is. It will always be the answer to everything. It will always be the source of guidance and so anything that improves AA's contact with God anything that would improve uh, make the service part of our program more spiritual would be huge Where, where the guiding force is God That would be a monstrously wonderful thing Um, and for AA and for the alcoholic. Remember what it says at the end of our book. It says we realize we know only a little. These guys put everything down that they knew and it's up to a little. Where do we get the rest of it? God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. So the, the whole point of the book, I call AA's big book a treasure map. It's not the treasure, it's the map, and God is the treasure. If you follow this, you get the treasure. But it isn't the words in the book. It's, those are the directions. So that's why it, it, it's conscious, Chuck had it right. We started the whole thing today by saying <laughs> there's only one problem and one solution. Conscious separation and conscious contact. What's the best way to enforce our singleness of purpose at meeting? Baseball bats. That's what <laughs> I do. <make it. laughs> Is that what you do? Hockey sticks. Hockey sticks, okay. <laughs> I don't have a good answer on that, so I'll stick with baseball bats. Describe the gradual awakening process. Gradual. (laughs) I don't think there's such a thing. I think that there's the one that Bill Wilson had, and then there's. they describe it as the educational variety that occurs over time, but when it occurs, it occurs suddenly. In other words, we suddenly realize that God is doing for us, and that, did, that happened sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, but when it happens, it's like that. There's just no way it can be gradual. Should we stop? Three minutes. Three minutes, okay. How do you take someone through the steps? Well, there goes more than three minutes. <laughs> okay, I'm going to do it in one minute. First, the first thing I tell them is that they're going to have a spiritual awakening. And be ready for it. We use the Big Book and the 12 and 12. I, I present both of them together with equal Authority. They are, they together constitute our program. And in general, it takes around five months to six months to go through the whole deal, not counting the service manual or the traditions or anything like that, just 164 pages. And I guess it's whatever's going on in my mind at the time. Long-term sobriety and relationships, how do you do this? I'm in too much pain to discuss this. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite AA history book, Not God, by Ernest Kurtz? If you've never heard of it, the problem with that book is he chose this title, Not God, which if you looked at it just sitting there, you'd go, what do I read a book that says Not God? Sounds like it's putting God down, and it's actually taken out of our big book, The Alcoholic Has to Understand That He's Not God. And it was, uh, if you don't know, it was a Harvard student, graduate student, did a Ph.D. on AA. And, boy, is it thorough. It's, It's quite nice. When not traveling, what do you do to have fun? I answer questions out of a basket. (laughs) I ended up, I couldn't exercise or anything. I became a big soccer fan. They have a soccer channel, and you can watch all the English clubs live. It's just wonderful. And so I suddenly became a big soccer fan. How do you describe your God? I think I covered that. There, that's the last one. It is the sum of all the experiences that I've had. So I just look back on all these transformations, these experiences, the experiences that I've seen in others. You've all seen that sponsoring somebody, and and you just they turn out to be ten times better than you ever dreamed they could be. And you got to watch it. And that is, um, that's God. That's the best description of God there is. Thank you all. We're at the end of the time. We made it. Oh.